Part Two, Chapter Five of The Swoop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kristen Hughes. The Swoop, or How Clarence Saved England, by P. G. Woodhouse. Part Two, Chapter Five: Seeds of Discord. The days following Clarence's visit to the offices of the Encore were marked by a growing feeling of unrest, alike among invaded and invaders. The first novelty and excitement of the foreign occupation of the country was beginning to wear off, and in its place the sturdy independence so typical of the English character was reasserting itself. Deep down in his heart, the genuine Englishman has a rugged distaste for seeing his country invaded by a foreign army. People were asking themselves by what right these aliens had overrun British soil. An ever-growing feeling of annoyance had begun to lay hold of the nation. It is probable that the departure of Sir Harry Lauder first brought home to England what this invasion might mean. The great comedian, in his manifesto in the Times, had not minced his words. Plainly and crisply he had stated that he was leaving the country because the music-hall stage was given over to alien gulks. He was sorry for England. He liked England. But now all he could say was, God bless you. England shuddered, remembering that last time he had said, God bless you till I come back. Ominous mutterings began to make themselves heard. Other causes contributed to swell the discontent. A regiment of Russians, out route marching, had walked across the bowling screen at Kennington Oval during the Surrey v. Lancashire match, causing Hayward to be bowled for a duck's egg. A band of German sappers had dug a trench right across the turf at Queen's Club. The mutterings increased. Nor were the invaders satisfied and happy. The late English summer had set in with all its usual severity, and the Cossacks, reared in the kindlier climate of Siberia, were feeling it terribly. Colds were the rule rather than the exception in the Russian lines. The coughing of the Germans at Tottenham could be heard in Oxford Street. The attitude of the British public, too, was getting on their nerves. They had been prepared for fierce resistance. They had pictured the invasion as a series of brisk battles, painful perhaps, but exciting. They had anticipated that when they had conquered the country, they might meet with the glare of hatred as they patrolled the streets. The supercilious stare unnerved them. There is nothing so terrible to the highly strung foreigner as the cold, contemptuous, patronizing gaze of the Englishman. It gave the invaders a perpetual feeling of doing the wrong thing. They felt like men who had been found traveling in a first-class carriage with a third-class ticket. They became conscious of the size of their hands and feet. As they marched through the metropolis, they felt their ears growing hot and red. Beneath the chilly stare of the populace, they experienced all the sensations of a man who has come to a strange dinner-party in a tweed suit when everybody else has dressed. They felt warm and prickly. It was dull for them, too. London is never at its best in early September. Even for the habitué, there was nothing to do. Most of the theatres were shut, the streets were damp and dirty. It was all very well for the generals, appearing every night in the glare and glitter of the footlights, but for the rank and file the occupation of London spelt pure boredom. London was, in fact, a human powder magazine. 
and it was Clarence Chugwater, who with a firm hand applied the match that was to set it in a blaze. End of Part 2 Chapter 5